This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock in, uh, in, in the whole East Coast, just about. Uh, and uh, in the studio with us is Congressman Peter King and Lydia Saroni. I, I understand you have some breaking news. Breaking news, WABC. New York prosecutor Ann Donnelly of Long Island is looking into Representative-elect George Santos, citing fabrications and inconsistencies. She said, quote, no one is above the law, and if a crime was committed in this country, we will prosecute it. So, Congressman King, how do you feel about that? You live in Nassau County. uh... I do, and I know Ann Donnelly. I have a great respect for her. If she goes forward, you know, she won't go forward unless there's something there, and she won't bring an indictment unless there's something there. But she's a very tough prosecutor. And uh, to me, the only crime that could be out there would be, number one, if he uh, lied on his financial uh, statements, if somehow there's a, a funding he can't account for. Is that federal for. or state? And Donnelly, I mean, Donnelly is state. Right. The report in Washington is federal. Now, it could be, though, that the, uh, that the funds he's talking about that he used to finance his campaign— that could have been done locally, and that. But again, I don't. I, you know, I don't want to be speculating, but I just know that Ann Donnelly, if she said this, would not be saying it unless she do it. I'm going to text her forward. and ask her if she wants to come on. Fine, that'd be great. Again, she's a total pro, and she would not be doing anything uh, unless there was a basis for it. If she's not okay. a headline hunter. If anything, she's very low. Uh, uh, just real, before we go, one last thing. According to the article, it goes to the question that you asked, John, of George Santos. You asked him specifically about that $700,000, right? And you had asked him how he was able to lend his campaign $700,000 after claiming on a campaign finance form in 2020 that he was only making $55,000 a year. So that goes to John's question. Where did that $700,000 yeah. come from? And it looks like that's going to be the focus of the investigation. If there is a local issue, it has to involve funding involving Nassau County or something that occurred within Nassau County, not the lie, if there is a lie on his financial statement, but that could have triggered an investigation into where the $750,000 know where it came from. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Congressman King. And on the line with us right now, we have the NYPD Chief of Detectives, James Essig. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Chief. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, how you doing, John? How you doing, Congressman? I'm doing fine, and uh, these people are nobody. You're like almost a neighbor of mine, except you live in a high class neighborhood. But anyway, <laughs> great, great to talk to you, Jim. It really is. And thanks for a great job you do. Happy well, New this year. is a cold week <clears throat> this week, and well, and uh, so many problems. My God, we're looking to you to find out: Are we going to survive the week? Survive the week? Yeah, we're going to survive the week. Okay. Uh, uh, Chief, so you re- the NYPD released some statistics, and it looks like uh, things are heading in the right direction. Can you let us uh, know what's going on? Well, as, as far as uh, the shootings and homicides, well, it looks like we're going to finish the year uh, substantially down, about 15% in homicides, about 
15 to 20 percent in shootings. Chief, what's the, uh, the main reason for that? Because that, they are really startling numbers. You know, 15 percent, uh, that's great. Well, How'd that come uh, about? You know, I, I'd love to give my detectives credit for that. Uh, this year alone, uh, our clearance rates for homicides committed this year is about 65 percent. When all said and done with the... Uh, the clearance rates from previous years would be at about 85%. We've arrested, the detectives this year have arrested close to 1,400 people for either shootings or homicides this year and in previous years. So uh, an outstanding job by that. And I, and I think uh, the deployment, the uh, patrol services, transit, housing is doing, uh, and a couple of innovative steps we're using to apprehend these perpetrators in real time are, are really starting to pay dividends. Now, the New York Times uh, chief, uh, chief Essig released some statistics talking about children who are the victims of shootings. And it's a startling number. Can you tell us more about that? Well, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, we're seeing the highest levels uh, of youths under the age of 18 involved in gun violence. Uh, you know, the availability of guns. And, they're, uh, you know, in certain circumstances, there's no repercussions when people get arrested for guns. So they're coming right out. They're using them. Uh, but uh, hopefully that'll start to turn shortly. Chief, do you think you can bring the success also to the uh, street crime and I guess what I call quality of life crimes? Because you've done such a great job on the shootings and the murders. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the biggest issues, probably one of the biggest concerns of the citizens, too, uh, of New York, is the street crimes, the drugs on, on the corners, the quality of life issues. I mean, it's a patrol issue. I think we're going to be looking to enhance our narcotics enforcement on, on the streets this year. We're putting together a plan. We're working with the police commissioner, the new chief of department, and we should have that plan out shortly to start addressing some of the uh, quality of life narcotics issues on the streets. Right. So, Chief Essig, we were talking about it earlier with Curtis Sliwa, that guy. Uh, what is his name? Wilford Acasio. He's like the poster child now of shoplifting dozens and dozens of times, and he's hitting the same stores over and over again. What can be done about these repeat offenders? Uh, I, you know, our job in the police department is continue to arrest them. You know, the criminal justice system consists of a lot of parts, prosecutors, uh, this, the, you know, the, the judges, the, uh, the corrections. Our job is to give the prosecutors the best case possible to keep them in jail. And hopefully the rest of the criminal justice system works. Chief, do you think that the mayor and the commissioner will have any impact in Albany? I know that uh, uh, Mayor Adams keeps talking about the need to change some of these laws, uh, certainly with repeat offenders, with bail reform, with uh, pretrial discovery, all of that. Do you see any, any chance of progress there? You know, we hope so. I mean, my job is to give my detectives the resources to uh, do the job they, they do best, and that's to arrest these people. I, I leave that work to the elected officials and the politicians to change the law. But we have to work within the law. Uh, we do the best we can with what we got. Absolutely. Um, so, Chief Essig, where do we go from here? What do you see in the coming year? Well, uh, again, uh, I, I think where we are, we've made significant progress, as, as we talked about with the homicides and the shootings this year. Uh, you know, I think if we could keep that momentum going, we're nowhere near where we want to be. 
we want to get back to those 2018, early 2019 crime levels. But we're starting to see some significant progress. And hopefully with these new plans in place with the narcotics, the quality life enforcement, to continue to detect the Bureau to make the arrest, take these violent criminals off the street, we'll see some more progress uh, in the coming year. Chief, and how about police morale? Are you, uh, you know, being able to uh, increase retention, also increase recruitment? Because the cops took a real bad hit the last few years with from the public and the media and the politicians. Uh, how is it as far as holding the people on the job and recruiting new members? Uh, you know, um, I've been on 40 years. Next week I have 40 years. Um, the last couple of years have been probably the hardest, but um, – you know the the cops know what they get into when they when they take the job. Yeah. Uh, you know we do our job. We continue to plug away, um, and there's a lot of support out there. You know when you're on a foot post and somebody walks by, hey, thank you for what you do. Or when you hit a search warrant, the, the next door neighbor opens up that door and gives you the thumbs up. So that's not out in the public, but we see it, we hear it. Uh, yeah, we got our share of critics out there, but uh, the overwhelming majority of the people support us and they, they show it to us. Chief Essig, back to the shooting victims. There have been 149 shooting victims under the age of 18 so far this year as of December 18th. And of course, that's notably higher than the number in 2021 when we saw 138. And then, as you mentioned, in 2017, we saw historic violence lows with uh, 75 shooting victims were children. But also on the flip side, the people actually pulling the trigger are, are children themselves. And we're seeing this trend not only in New York City, but in Philly and Chicago. Chicago and L.A. Why why do you think that is happening, that we're seeing so many children now now uh, getting involved in so many violent activities? Yeah, uh, I think a lot of it's gang related. Uh, a, a lot of it's the rap, uh, the drill rap where social media mm-hmm. taunts and then the availability of guns for these young kids where they go out and they get them. But uh, the drill rap, definitely social media has a lot of it where the taunting goes back and forth. And unfortunately, a lot of these kids resort to the violence. Right. And then the, the, the assaults. I know a lot of people are worried simply walking down the street or they're taking the subway and we're seeing assaults going up and people being uh, attacked randomly. Why do you think that's happening so much? So more I feel like more so than we've heard in recent years. Yeah, it's, uh, I would say in the last two years, you see a lot of random assaults, uh, people on the subways, people walking down the streets. Uh, there's a, a, a lot of uh, mentally ill people on the street, a lot of substance abusers out on the street, and uh, that's where our enforcement's got to come. we got to work with the Mayor's Mental Health Initiative, try and get these people some care in certain ways, and take off the offenders uh, in a different way and put them in in jail. Now, Chief uh, John Katsimatidis, uh, I understand uh, on some of these civilian uh, review boards uh, re- uh, reports that the uh, commissioner has shot down most of them. Has that made the uh, officers uh, happy that uh, somebody's watching their back? Well, it's always good to know uh, the police commission is uh, fantastic, uh, very well loved by the by the membership out there. And, uh, you know, when when we're right, it's good to be back and she she backs us and we're wrong where she she'll take disciplinary action. So but it, it's good to know she has our back. That's, I think it's that's a, very important. Yeah, I think it's really important. The cops know that. Listen, if something's wrong, it's wrong. But the other hand, 
when cheap shots are taken and, you know, the brass just go along with the charges, that can really be unnerving to cops. All I've heard from rank and file is they really do respect the fact that uh, Commissioner Sewell is looking at these cases with an open mind and not rushing to judgment in any way or not just rubber stamping, you know, judgment they came to her from the civilian board. Well, I, I think all we can ask for is a, from a police standard is just give us a fair shake. Look at the facts and judge us. Uh, and the overwhelming majority of the time, you'll see we're in the right. Chief, when's your next class coming in? You know, I yet? think in January they, uh, they do four classes a year. I think the next class will be coming out in January. I just, uh, guys, I just got a text back from Ann Donnelly that it's, uh, her apologies. It's improper for her, her to come on radio. And but she could confirm uh, that the uh, there's an investigation is underway. Chief, that's one thing you don't have to worry about is the investigation into uh, George, George Santos. You have enough problems to oh, worry boy. about, but that that's one that's not yours. So wow, <laughs> I've been in politics a long time. I've never seen anything like this. But that's that's for another day, I guess. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Chief of Detectives James Essig. And if we don't speak to you beforehand, have a happy and healthy New Year. Hey, Jim, let's get together soon, okay? Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot. Have a happy okay. New Year. Happy Take New care. Year. Thank you. And when we come back, we'll be talking to a Dr. William Parker. So much going on. The border, Afghanistan. Keep it here. Cats at Night. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. In studio, Congressman Peter King, John Katzmatidis, and myself, Lydia. On the line, we have Dr. William Parker. He is the CEO of Parker Maritime Technologies, and he's also a retired senior U.S. naval officer who commanded three warships and later a squadron of warships. He also served as a chief of staff for U.S. Naval Surface Forces. Uh, Welcome back to Cats at Night, Dr. Parker. Oh, it's always great to be back on your show. There's so many things going on. Where, where do you want to start? <laughs> um, you know, how about Afghanistan? Because not many people are talking about it these days. But uh, if that's okay with you, we'll start Please. there. Yes. You, you know, you, you look back at this, 20 years, $2.3 trillion, 2,324 American uh, servicemen dead, 3,900 contractors, and the list goes on. Uh, 243,000 died total over there. Uh, and, and the Taliban just kicked out all the women out of their universities. Um, they now say all women are uh, not allowed to be, uh, if they're part of an NGO, they're not allowed to operate in their country anymore. Um, and meanwhile, we've left a lot of equipment behind, about $83 billion to include Apache helicopters, Humvees, et cetera. Um, so it's interesting. And then today, um, John, you saw the article where, uh, there's a discussion of Germans finding uh, they, they bought on eBay for about $200 biometric iris scanners that have about 2,600 personnel's photos, fingerprints, names, uh, nationalities, iris scans, et cetera. So uh, we've got some problems uh, in how we dealt with uh, departing over there. I will say I thought the military did quite well in general. Um, that said, um, the way we left uh, and as fast as we left um, is why we're at where we're at today. Dr. Parker, this is Pete King. I was going to ask you, uh, do you know what the status is of the Afghans we left behind, or the translators, those who had cooperated with us? Is there any improvement in their status? Are they being hunted down? Yes, sir. And I know this is something that uh, you in particular focused on. Uh, the reality is um, we, we have been successful in, uh, in giving, getting some out thanks to a, a lot of uh, work from a lot of brave people. Um, but unfortunately, there's, a, there's still uh, many Americans there 
And there's a very large number of interpreters, translators, et cetera, that uh, we work with closely and made a huge difference on the battlefield while we were there. Dr. Parker, going back to the women, we're seeing the videos of the women crying when they're being told that they can't go to school anymore. And they're actually out in the streets protesting and they've unleashed water cannons on them, but they're still out there. I'm worried about their safety, but I guess it's also a good sign that they're able to protest in the first place. What are you hearing? Well, ma'am, I'm, I, you know, they're unfortunately these people are not going to. Uh, it's not going to end well for these women. Um, and uh, I give them a lot of credit uh, for having the courage to stand up, uh, uh, similar to the Iranians who are standing up against their government right now. Um, this is this is a brutal uh, organization, the Taliban there. Uh, and unfortunately, I think what you will find is uh, many of them dead or in prison. And, and it's really sad to see that some of these people held political offices or were teaching at universities, et cetera. And now they're not even allowed to go into their own parks or attend school. And what is that going to do to their economy when women are no longer allowed to be educated, no longer able to work? I'm seeing these videos of women saying my husband is disabled or I'm a widow. It's, I need to work. A fourth world country. Yeah, it's it, it's going to go from a third world to a fourth world country. Uh, it it is uh, it is going to be a complete disaster. And then there's going to be uh, reaching out from uh, to around the globe asking uh, folks to help fund them uh, to bring them back to the point where they can at least uh, eat. And they're not there right now. They are suffering mightily, and much of that is because of a rapid, uh, poorly prepared departure. And Dr. Parker, we're seeing this video of this huge hole that has been cut in the El Paso barrier and just migrants are are pouring through. It's hard to believe this is still the United States and that's happening. Well, I tell you, this gets to state rights issues. But the reality is, you know, you had 900,000 legal immigrants come into the United States in the first nine months of 2022. That's good, right? We want to bring in and good people that care and want to be American citizens and do it the right way. But this year, 2.76 million migrants have crossed the southwest border into the United States. That's a million more than any other year. And in El Paso, um, I mean, it's on a stretch of the border between the U.S. and Mexico. It's four miles from El Paso where they've cut this huge hole, and they're bringing in drugs. They're bringing in uh, uh, human trafficking like you wouldn't believe. We don't know what else, and that really concerns me uh, if they're bringing in weapons of mass destruction, bioweapons, uh, et cetera. We have a huge problem there, and, and we also have an issue with states' rights on whether or not these states are allowed to say, no, I'm going to put up this, uh, this barricade, whether it's Arizona, Texas, or others, and, and prevent this from happening. I mean, this is not sustainable. Why Why do you think that the Biden administration is allowing this? Why not send the National Guard? Why not build the border? Why not have some sort of orderly immigration process in place? I don't know the answer to that, but uh, I, I've heard several people uh, make the prediction that perhaps um, if all of these uh, folks that come in uh, illegally, many of them are good people. They, you know, they want to go and be in a better place or whatever, but they come in. And then they get citizenship, and now you have changed dramatically the voting dynamic in the U.S. Changed it dramatically overnight by by allowing all of these people to come in illegally and then become citizens. And then, and who uh, who pays the cost? I mean, I'm not just talking even financially because there is a financial burden that comes with 
housing migrants, with educating them, with giving them food and clothing and, and you name it. But there's also I, I, it's just uh, we don't know who they are. We don't know if they're terrorists. We don't know if they're drug dealers. We don't know if they plan on joining gangs. <clears throat> Congressman King, MS-13, it, there could be a resurgence of it. Yeah, I mean, MS-13, that was basically started on Long Island by uh, undocumented immigrants who came across in uh, 2014, 2015. And it caused, I mean, actually carnage in uh, Suffolk County, parts of Nassau County. And But, you know, when we're wondering why Joe Biden is doing this, during his campaign, he basically said he was going to open the borders. I mean, this is, uh, to a lot of Democrats, a lot of progressives, we should have open borders. We should be bringing in more people. I think it's a terrible policy. And let's face it, whatever people say about President Trump, and I can be critical of him in certain areas, immigration was under control as much as it's ever been by his last year in office. Even under Barack Obama. Remember, they called him the deporter in in chief. And he just last year said that it's not sustainable to have open borders. I think this is a national security threat at this point. Dr. Parker, what do you think? I think it's a national security uh, uh, threat. I think it's a national economic threat. Um, I think when you look at our schools, um, it's a major issue, all points that you have brought up. But when you get to the security side of the house, if you don't know who's in the country and you don't know what they're bringing in, that's a major, major threat. Uh, I mean, can you imagine allowing people into your home, uh, open up the front door and just say the next 12 people just walk on in? Doesn't matter what you have in your backpack. That's basically what we're doing right now. I mean, all the all our people, all our security people in Homeland Security. If the boss, if the boss is getting uh, orders from the White House, what do they all think? Um, I, there are a lot of uh, very frustrated people at Customs and Border Patrol, at Homeland Security writ large, at the U.S. Coast Guard, um, et cetera. People that are are trying to protect this country, um, the the police officers, uh, the gentleman that you just had on. Um, all these people think we have lost our minds by allowing just anyone to flow across the border and not even putting up a wall that's laying there on its side. And, and it's, uh, it's going to have a negative impact. It's already having a negative impact, but it's going to have a bigger one. Um, and we start having uh, you know, dirty bombs go off in the United States. It's going to make 9-11 look like child's play, which is just horrifying to think about, but uh, not hard to get weapons like that across the border when they're as porous as they are. You, know, you realize how difficult it is for the airports, all the, the tight security measures, and yet in the southern border, people can just walk across, and the terrorists are well aware of that. They are well aware of that, and um, you know that's why I started off with Afghanistan today, uh, is because when you when you really look at it, you know they're making preps right now. There's somebody sitting somewhere right now in uh, in Afghanistan that's making preparations for the next attack or attacks against the United States. Um, and I believe that will be in either a dirty weapon or a uh, or a bio attack because those are the the significant impacts and, and you can hurt the most number of people doing that. And I'm not sure that we've maintained our party from the border issue, whether we're doing all we can as far as terrorist activity, trying to stop it to uh, uh, again. When I was down there, I remember the you know, tremendous effort both in New York and Washington, other places to fight back against terrorism, to set up uh, investigations and security measures. And I'm just not convinced that that same intensity of effort is going on right now. 
No, so the, the, the way you win this fight is you uh, you take the fight to the enemy, and you do that by going into places like Afghanistan and other places around the world that, that people don't enjoy being deployed to, but they do it because it keeps the fight over there. And when you leave places like that, you not only allow them to prepare on their own, but you also allow them to recruit. Um, and I can't even imagine what the recruiting looks like right now with the Taliban um, after they have said, look, we kicked the Russians out. Uh, we kicked the Americans out now. Heck, we kicked out Alexander the Great. But look, nobody can defeat us. Just come join our group. And that's exactly what you're hearing right now. Incredible, incredible what's going on in our world The only world guy today. that didn't defeat was Rocky. Well, Rocky was on your side. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. William Parker, for all that you do. Thank you, uh, Bill. Thank you, Doctor. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. So now we're going to go to a report from Lou Dobbs, and we'll also have him live in just a little bit. Keep it right here, Cats at Night. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show in studio. Congressman King, John Katzmatidis, and myself, Lydia, on the line. We have Gordon Chang. He is a senior scholar for the Gatestone Institute when it comes to China and other world policies. No one knows better what's going on in the world than Gordon Chang. Welcome back to Cats at Night. And we well, ha- thank you so much, Lydia, and Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New-, New Year. And we have such a new problem on the, mm-hmm. how could China... Uh, export all their uh, COVID cases again. Yeah, this is just... For for people that don't know, China has announced, and they're already flying into Milan, just like they did two years ago or three years ago. Mm -hmm. 50% of the people on that airplane going to Milan have COVID. Yes, I mean, this is incredible. And we are going to have a COVID wave in the United States as well. Because it was good that the Biden administration imposed these uh, testing requirements on arrivals from China, but these testing requirements are grossly inadequate. You can get a test up to 48 hours before departure. Now, a couple things. First of all, you can get COVID in the interim, of course. 48 hours is less than the incubation period for this disease. And China has not been sharing genome sequencing. So we don't even know what we should be testing for. It could be COVID. It could be something else. Um, And and, and the people that are not sick in the airplane are not going to get sick to 48 hours later. Right. This is just we should expect a new wave of COVID in the U.S. We're under attack. But the Biden administration is letting this happen. There should be a prohibition on all arrivals from Chinese soil. And, Gordon, the Biden administration said they're going to start January 5th. How come they don't start tomorrow morning? Yeah, that's that's, that's something else. Gordon, since since the testing you believe is inadequate, and I'm certainly inclined to agree with you, do you definitely think then that we just stop all immigration or everyone coming from China? Yes, I think that we need to do that. Um, There's so many reasons for that. And one of them is we don't know what the intentions of the Chinese regime are. We know that in 2020, they deliberately spread the disease beyond their borders. Mm. They lied about transmissibility. And while they were locking down their own country, they were pressuring us and others to allow arrivals from China. You put those two things together and it shows a deliberate spread of the disease. So we're dealing with a malicious regime, which means we don't give them the benefit of the doubt right now. And, you know, whatever the intentions of China, we just do not need one more case and one more death in the United States from COVID. And if we can reduce the COVID load, then we should, of course, do that. 
I'm having major deja vu. I mean, do we even know, if, is this possibly a new strain of COVID? Could this be some kind of new infectious disease, a COVID-like type of illness? That's a really important question, Lydia. And we know that as this disease rips through China, um, there were 250 million new infections in the first 20 days of this month, 37 million on one day alone. Um, yes, this disease is going to mutate because that's what viruses do. So we can expect that there are going to be new strains of this disease. But also, we don't know if there are no other diseases in China right now. I mean, the Chinese authorities are not sharing information. So we're in a point where um, we don't even know what we should be testing for. That's, to you, that's what you were saying before. I mean, I, I don't know. And then they're going to Milan and then from Milan, there could come to the United States. And that's what happens with New York. And we went back in 2020. So they all came to New York. They also went over to San Francisco. So they came right over to California and New York. And then it spreads like wildfire all across the country. Right. I mean, just as we're getting a grip on COVID-19, um, you know, the Chinese decide to launch a new wave of it. I mean, yes, the Chinese regime is always malicious, but this doesn't mean that we need to always be stupid. And that's what we're doing right now. You know, Biden in 2020, when Trump imposed the travel ban on China, which was too late, but he imposed a ban. That was a good thing. Biden called him xenophobic. Now Biden can't go back on that. But if he wants to start saving American lives, he needs to say, yeah, I, w I made a mistake in 2020. I'm going to ban arrivals from China. Uh, and, and that's a very simple thing he can do. He can save American lives. It's within his power. All he needs to do is pick up the pen. He uses his executive order, orders all the time. Why does he do it to save American lives? Is there any evidence of this spreading to Taiwan yet? Uh, no, there actually hasn't been yet, but um, because there's uh, very little travel now right. between Taiwan and, and China. But if uh, it opens up, um, and, and Taiwan is very prepared for that because they've been talking about this very subject in recent days. And they were very effective the last time, right? Back in 2020 and 2021, Taiwan? They've been, they've been very effective, Congressman, um, and they have actually been a model in terms of what to do. Now, some people say they were too strict, but they did prevent mass infections. And remember, they're very close to China, so you would expect for them to get hit really hard, but they haven't been, and that's a good thing. So I want to ask you, John, do you think that President Biden would rather lose American lives uh, or admit that Donald Trump was right? I think he's losing American lives right now. Mm. I mean, but Donald Trump waited three weeks before he shut it down. Too. Right. He was but too late, too. But now we should know better. We should shut it down tomorrow morning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why are we allowing airplanes coming from China if they're being irresponsible? Where's the checks and balances? If I could intervene for a second, I guess we're getting to the end. Going to the end of the year, do you see any hope for our policies for China next year? Do you see any any uh, lessening of tension, or is it going to get worse next year, Gordon? I think it's going to get worse because we have seen this month, Congressman, that as problems have accumulated in China, that Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, has become more aggressive. There was the big incursion in Arunachal Pradesh in India. There has been these um, vessels going through Japanese territorial water and loitering, which they're not permitted to do. And there's been more pressure on the Philippines and the South China Sea. So as China gets weaker at home and as Xi Jinping gets in more trouble at home, China's becoming more provocative externally. 
That wasn't very encouraging, but you've been right all along, Gordon Chang, so thank you for that. Uh, anything? we got a minute left. Anything you want to tell uh, all the American people? I, I just worry very much about 2023 because we have an Oval Office. We have a Pentagon that is oblivious. They don't have a sense of urgency. And right now the issue is time. We need to start defending our country, and our political leadership isn't doing it. Wow. It's really unfortunate because our government should be working for us and, and protecting us. And we should have learned by now what what not to do. And it seems like we're going right back to where we were, you know, with the same mistakes. 100 percent. Thank you 100%. so much, uh, Gordon Chang. Thank Gordon, you. maybe we'll, we'll talk to you before the weekend if anything changes. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, John. And thank, thank you, Gordon Chang. And thank Congressman. You. Now on the line, Lou Dobbs. He's a political and financial commentator, author and TV host. He Host The Great America Show on iHeartRadio and LouDobbs.com. And, of course, he has his report here every single day on WABC Radio. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Lou Dobbs. Great to be with you. Thanks so much. Happy New Year. Happy Happy New New Year. Year. I mean, uh, the financial markets, they've been on a roller coaster. Uh, The New York Post carried a story today where all the guys that are worth $200 billion, $100 billion, $50 billion, well, they're suffering. What's going to yeah, happen, What's going to happen with all this? Well, with the with the billionaires, we don't have to uh, do a benefit. They they lost a, just about a half trillion dollars uh, over the course of the past year. Uh, what's going to happen with the markets themselves? Uh, you know, I'll give you my best guess, and my best guess is that the majority are wrong about the markets, and by that I mean all of the talk, the Sturm and Dung of uh, uh, all of the the so-called pundits uh, and gurus on Wall Street, is that we have a recession, it's assured, uh, and we're going to see a great calamity. I I think they're overstating it, John, by a considerable margin. Uh, The reality is we had a recession last year, the first half of the year, uh, and no one seemed to pay attention to it, and now we don't have a recession, low unemployment, we have growth, and suddenly everyone's sure that this is a recession. Uh, I, for the life of me, I can't figure out what they're thinking. Uh, it, it seems to me that while things are tough and volatile, as you said, as you say, uh, you know, this is not exactly a, a terrible time in which we live uh, financially and economically. Uh, and I don't believe that uh, you know the end is near by any stretch of the imagination. You're right. Um, interest rates, you think that any chance that uh, Chairman Powell will take a pause? I think there's every chance because Powell is, you know, he's been chastened before. Uh, he was raising rates uh, in 2018. Uh, he was doing his best to be ahead of the markets when he should be behind the markets. Uh, he's done the same thing here. And the reality is, that he is, he's going to have to face facts. Uh, he has goals. Uh, he's got 2% goals for the discount uh, inflation rate. Uh, he's going to have to live up to that. But by no means is he should he be uh, willing to put uh, millions of people out of work. And that would be the result uh, if he continues on this path. But on well, the, well, the real estate market is being devastated. Uh, new construction absolutely. is being devastated. <laughs> well, this is... Uh, 
This is Pete King. I have a quick question for you, and it's maybe an oversimplified one. How much would the economy approve if they uh, once again start exploring for oil, opened up the uh, pipelines, and ended this policy of restricting oil production? Well, I think that we are already seeing, uh, first of all, prices decline somewhat. Uh, they're going; they're now going to re- uh, rebound a bit. Uh, but I think there is no doubt that we should be having a full and wide open uh, petrochemical industry in this country. Uh, that means drilling, that means producing, and that means refining and distributing and consuming as much as we possibly can of our own energy. Uh, it worked. Uh, during the four years of President Trump, uh, and there's no reason in the world why it wouldn't make all the sense in the world, just in terms of national security, uh, to be doing so again. Uh, we do not, you know, Medvedev, uh, uh, the Russian uh, <laughs> prime minister, suggested the other day with uh, his uh, his uh, crystal ball for the future that we'd be looking at $150 a barrel oil. Uh, I think if we leave uh, the current energy protocols and policies in effect, he's probably right. Uh, we need to get that near and uh, stabilize around somewhere around 70 to 80 barrels, of, uh, $80 a barrel. Uh, and that would happen with a, with an, uh, let's put it this way, uh, free uh, frolicking energy market. Um, well, you mentioned in the conversation we had uh, before, uh, China, you think it's their turn to fall. I think it's their turn now uh, to confront economic realities uh, and also challenges. Uh, And we are watching it now when the zero COVID policy has to be reversed by Xi Jinping uh, just simply to stabilize the unrest in his own country. Uh, We're beginning to see some some balance uh, achieved by the uh, CCP. Uh, And by that, I mean... They're having to take cognizance of the fact that they have a lot of problems they've got to deal with. Uh, And this bluster and the refusal to join the global uh, marketplace uh, as anything other than a producer has to be reversed. Uh, So I think it's their turn to go from uh, what was a uh, a straight trajectory higher uh, on the backs of the, the purchasing consumers around the world. Uh, They now have to, to fall in line and to either be a global trading partner uh, rather than a, uh, if you will, a mercantile uh, totalitarian nation. I think they have to adjust. And, uh, Lou, there's a new problem. Uh, The COVID problem is exploding in China. We just had Gordon Chang on, and uh, uh, I know it increased like 37,000 or 37 million in one day, was it? Uh, the COVID cases, yeah, it's yeah. like 37. And, and, and now the Chinese are allowing uh, the airplanes to come into new, uh, in our country and in uh, Milan uh, with mm-hmm. with people with COVID above, uh, aboard. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to see the Biden administration <laughs> at least say that they're going to uh, insist on having negative tests from every traveler, irrespective of whether they come in directly from China or third nations. Uh, they will have to have a negative COVID uh, card with them or they don't get in. Uh, the unfortunate part is that that doesn't go into effect until next week, the 5th. Why are they waiting for January 5th? It should be tomorrow morning. 
I, the fact that he's doing it at all, John, is what really shocks me. Uh, but I'm appalled that they're not moving with the uh, with the urgency this requires. Well, why not we stop world travel? Yeah. I'm sorry. They should stop world travel because the people that uh, have COVID versus the people that flew in that airplane with the people who have COVID might not test uh, negative. Might test negative, but they're not negative. You know, I recall having the very same conversation with Dr. Fauci in February of 2020, and he said, if you can imagine, that travel bans don't work. Travel bans do work, and they are the only thing that do work in the incipient stages of a pandemic, a potential pandemic, uh, it, that is to eliminate contact. Well, thank uh, you. And you're exactly right. Thank you, Lou Dobbs. If we don't talk, Happy New Year, and uh, thank you for uh, uh, letting the American people know what the heck is going on. Appreciate it, John. Always great to be with you. Thank, Thank you. you. And now on the line, we have a great political strategist, uh, Hank Shenkoff. Welcome back to Cats at Night. Well, thank you for having me on the program. How's everybody doing? Well, we're, we're all <laughs> negative. <laughs> negative, for, well, negative for COVID, positive something fishy's going on with George Santos. Yeah, Hank, that's right. Yeah, as Lydia said, we've been spending all our time talking about George Santos the last few days. Well, George Santos, I don't know why we're spending so much time talking about him. I mean, there's not much to talk about. That resume is fairly thin. But uh, what do you think is going to happen here, Pete? What's going to happen? I think they're going to seat him. I think there's going to be a, a very early uh, ethics investigation. I think the uh, Department of Justice will also be involved. And if I had to bet, I'd say he'll be gone by the summer. No. Oh. I, w- I happen to agree with you. I think that there's a federal crimes probably committed here. You don't have to be uh, Clarence Darrow to figure that out. If he filed false information, use the... Postal Service, uh, he has a problem. The sources of money for that campaign could be a problem. The fact that he lied, you know, it tells us maybe we need a better system to vet candidates running for Congress and for elected offices that are representatives. Like uh, we, we vet our judges to see if they have real educations, that they have uh, real degrees, that they have real experience. Um, but, you know, the fault here lies, frankly, with the campaign of one Robert Zimmerman. Uh, all those consultants who got paid an awful lot of money, I'm sure, should have done their opposition research work like they would on anybody else and come up with conclusions <clears throat> that would have made it impossible for this guy to be elected. And Robert says he has some of the information, but if he did, rather than talking about Trump and abortion, which every other Democrat was talking about, if he had focused on this, it would have gotten people's attention and it would have made an impact. I think that's right, Congressman. I think it's absolutely correct. You couldn't be more correct. But uh, you may not have heard uh, Ann Donnelly, the Nassau County DA, announced today that she's beginning an investigation of uh, Santos. And obviously, she's a Republican, so it's not a partisan thing. But uh, So he could be facing trouble from all over, from justice, from the DA, from the IRS, and from the Ethics Committee in Congress. My hunch, Pete, is that he's going to have to – the only state issue is that he filed false documents with the, with the Board of Education – um, in the state of New York or locally, whatever documents are required in Nassau County. If he did, it's minor. The Fed stuff is the big stuff, as you well know. And right. We know too many people that have had been stupid enough to put things in the mailbox right. they shouldn't have put in. They were fraudulent. And, you know, then the Fed show up at your door with uh, with not a nice greeting that you ever want to hear. Maybe what she, what she could be looking at, you know, she may have some information about where the $750,000 came from. I agree with you. All the other stuff is federal. But if there is some maneuvering of money, uh, that you know that could be what she's looking at. How he went from being evicted from his apartment to being able to loan seven hundred fifty grand to his campaign. This would be among the great magic tricks of our time. You know, what do you think, John? <laughs> well, a magician, right? well, 
He, he became Jewish overnight. At, at one point, uh, he didn't have money to pay the rent, and this right now he's lending seven hundred thousand to his campaigns. Yeah, in twenty twenty, he filed his income tax returns and said he only made fifty five thousand dollars for the year, and then somehow, like two years later, he miraculously donates. Maybe he bought bitcoins. Oh, oh cryptocurrency. Oh, yeah, that that would be it. You know, look. It makes us all in the political business look very bad. Absolutely. It makes the system look terrible. It, it further undermines public confidence. Um, it is not good when people who, who, have these, who, who engage in this kind of behavior, and this is an extreme case, are in public office. His presumption is that he'll get through this because there's nothing anybody can do until he faces the voters in his head, and that he'll do a good job and somehow this will work out. And the Republicans in Washington must be losing their minds because their margins – are very close in that House of Representatives, and they need that vote. Um, and it also is bad for Joe Cairo, who, you know, she, instead of basking in glory of victory, which he had, doing an extraordinary job for his own party in, in Nassau County, now is faced with a real problem. This fellow is a real problem I, I, for him. I don't think any, any local political leader ever did a better job than Joe Cairo, winning both congressional seats, taking back three Senate seats, carrying Nassau off uh, Lee Zeldin by 45,000, not have this hit him between the eyes. It's really yeah, it's unfair and unfortunate. It's, it's, it's not fair. Not un- fair. Look, I was, I've been very public in my comments about, uh, about uh, Leader Cairo's uh, campaigns. I thought they were brilliant. I thought that the organization did a brilliant job. And there were, the Democrats really stink. But that's, you know, he did a lousy job in Nassau County. Joe Cairo did a brilliant job. And now he's being punished with this lunatic. You know, it's not fair at all. Well, thank you so much, uh, Hank Shankoff. And uh, we, if we don't talk to you, have a happy new year. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up soon. Happy new year, Hank. I hope so. Best to all of you. Be well. Thank, thank you, you so much, Lydia. All the best. Bye. Bye-bye. And now on the line for us, a Dr. Peter Mikolos, our resident medical genius, Renaissance man. We've been talking about COVID and it could possibly come our way now that we're hearing what's going on in China. Dr. Mikolos, how concerned should we be? Uh, well, I, I'm actually not as concerned. One of the reasons is that about 70% of us in the United States now have antibodies against COVID. So our immune systems aren't virgin. The problem with these countries with these intense lockdowns is that those people don't really have any immunity and they haven't developed any immunity. If you noticed in the last three months in like our New York area, tri-state area, it was rampant and ran through the whole system. So if you were to do blood tests on people, you'd find about 70% of people have a decent amount of antibodies. The problem with the issue you mentioned with China is we don't know which variant it is because we're not getting any data on the genetic markers of which variant it is. Before, we used to get these variant updates, but we haven't got that. But the good news is a lot of cross-reactivity against the spike protein. So we're much more prepared because we have a lot of almost herd immunity, not quite. We also have oral antivirals, oral antibodies. As we speak, we're testing which variants are showing up, and we're making new antibodies with the great American uh, pharmaceutical industry that we have. So we're in a in a very uh, different place. So I'm not as uh, worried about about that uh, right now. But and also, you look at the ICU beds na- nationally. We don't have critical amounts of people in ICU beds. Of ICU beds, they're only taking up about 10% of the people. So people are are getting their oral antivirals as outpatients. People were getting their or IV antibodies. So it's a little bit uh, different, but I think testing people before they enter the country, I think it's a great thing to do from any country internationally. And right now uh, it's going into force for Hong Kong, China, and Macau. And then on, a, on another note, uh, we'll switch to my uh, history hat. 
I just want to remind people of some interesting uh, history that the Russians tend to invade, and they learn this technique from the Mongols. They don't attack until the ice and the rivers freeze. And uh, what happens is that's how Napoleon uh, took a big hit and Hitler took a big hit. And they usually wait to attack and fight in the winter. And the Mongols used to fight in the winter because they wanted the snow because they used to have to feed all these horses and they had plenty of fresh water from the snow. Doctor, it seems like you're rooting for the Russians here. The fact is they're not going to be invading. I'm not rooting for the Russians. I'm just telling you historically. The reality is they've lost every battle this year. They've been demolished on on the field by Ukraine. And what you're talking about with Napoleon and others, Hitler and Napoleon are invading Russia. Russia is invading Ukraine. So it's a different story. No, I'm, I'm just talking about history, Congressman. If you, we'll, we'll, we'll play this radio show. He's our in-house historian, weeks. too, uh, Dr. Mihalos. In about four weeks. I think that if Congress had historians, they would know that Afghanistan... Yeah, but your history is wrong. You're, you're talking about invading Russia. No one's invading Russia. Russia's invading Ukraine. It's a totally different Russia war. In 1918, in 1918, we actually did invade Russia. No, first of all, no, that, was, that, was, that was over 20,000 troops. Only 5,000 were uh, American, and they were under British control. And the U.S. also sent troops to, yeah, to protect the Russians from Japan up in Siberia at the same time. Right. And the Ukrainians and Russians kicked us out. They didn't even want us there in the end. Well, again, okay, it was the well, U.S. that, that protected three, Russia three, from, three, uh, from Japan's invasion up in Manchuria. And the fact is, also, well, oh, it's, it's Siberia. It's the end of the show. Dr. Michalos. Yeah, that's uh, some good radio. Thank you so much, and God bless you, and God bless America, and we stand for truth, truth justice, justice, and in the American, American way. way. God bless. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.